available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. This is our final spring report for the Pac-12. We're going north to talk. We're talking about Corvallis. The Oregon State Beavers, we got Angie Machado. She's going to be talking to her in a few minutes and uh, all things Oregon State Beavers. So that's going to wrap up all of our spring uh, recaps, previews, all of that as we were talking to these people. Pac-12podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions for us because we've got a long offseason now. So you got to make sure you get in your ideas for topics and things like that. Stay away from the Disney princesses, but football stuff, we'd love to talk about that. You can call or text us also, 424 532 0678 or just tweet at us at Pac-12 Podcast. Of course, the website is Pac-12Podcast.com. And if you're on iTunes or any podcasting app, please leave us a positive review. Five-star rating, all of that stuff is great. Dave, we, we need some more of those. We do. We do. I haven't checked it recently, but I'm sure we are still carrying along very nicely at uh, five stars even. But I want to talk about something you just said, which is uh, no more Disney princesses. And frankly... Ryan, we're entering the deep offseason after this lovely show today. There won't be any more spring practice to talk about. We're not going to be able to talk about fall camp until probably late July. Like, what are we even going to do? Bring on the Disney princesses. (laughs) Bring them on. We'll talk about all of them. We'll break them down. We'll do the whole thing. We'll bring on experts about each Disney princess. We're fine with that. This can become a Disney Princess podcast. We're fine. That's okay. Yeah, it could be that. And I think, you know, we actually have on the line someone that's a Disney Princess expert. Uh, She covers the Oregon State Beavers. If I'm not mistaken, she made a trip down to Disneyland very recently. Angie Machado from BeaverBlitz.com is on the line. What's up, Angie? How are you? I'm good. I actually haven't, though. I thought you did. I have two two boys. I haven't been to Disneyland in like... Gosh, like 10 years. You down here, you were in SoCal for something. Maybe I'm good. I get my Instagram people mixed up sometimes. So that's. Uh, I don't know. I <laughs> hey. doesn't see. Oh, I was. I was down in SoCal. I, yes, I've been to Palm Springs a bunch. Oh, I'm more of a Palm desert Springs. girl. Okay. All right. Yeah, I go to Palm Springs often. Yeah, it's easy yeah. to mix those up. Yeah, Palm, Palm yeah. Springs. Yeah. And, Disney and Princess. I, like I said, I have two sons. They're more into baseball and football and not into Disney. I mean, I have not even seen that, um, the Hawaii one. And I love Hawaii. I've not even seen that one. I don't even know what that one is called. Mo- Moana's pretty good. Moana. Yeah, I have not seen it. I'm just I'm just saying Moana's pretty good. You so I check guess it out. My, my top Disney princess would have to be um, Jasmine from Aladdin because yeah. that was like my last favorite Disney movie. Oh. Yeah. All Obvious right. pick. See? So we will See? not be calling you for the expert You will advice. not be calling me for Disney princess reports because I, I don't know. I, I haven't. I think I've seen Frozen once. Yeah. I'm just. That's what happens when you have boys. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I'm the leading expert that we've spoken to, actually. Ryan. Okay, very All much right. so. <laughs> the unfortunate reality is I have two daughters, and so that's just how it's going to be <laughs> from here into eternity. But Angie, we're not here to talk Disney princesses with you. We're here to talk Oregon State. Okay, Oregon State I, I know football. a lot more about that. There we go. Um, so I want to jump right in because um, some interesting news happened. I think it was in January where Jake Luton uh, found out or it was reported that he had his uh, sixth year of eligibility granted at quarterback. Um, wasn't necessarily a known thing that was going to happen. Um, I, a lot of people were expecting Tristan Jebbia to kind of come in and, and immediately have the job. So what how has that shaken out so far in spring that quarterback battle? You know, it's it's been interesting because I was one of those people at the end of the year thinking it was, you know, the reins were going to be turned over to Tristan Jebbia, the transfer from Nebraska. And then Jake gets the news he's coming back. And it's it's really been a different Jake. You know, it started off seeing him at the combine they did after winter conditioning. And he's not, you know, he's not a fast guy by any means. And he'll never be confused with a fast guy. But he ran a sub 540, which kind of surprised me a little bit. And then just hearing the coaches, the players, They've all have been just super positive. He's, he's come in with a different attitude, super comfortable. He told us on Saturday that he has not been this comfortable in a system in his whole football career. He feels good. He feels confident. Um, we know he's not the most um, – we know that he's a little fragile. So Oregon State's going to need Tristan Jebbia right there. But, you know, he's been taking the bulk of the first team reps, mixing Tristan Jebbia in just so he's ready. But um, Jake has looked pretty solid th- this spring. Um, you, when we talked before the show and it was like, yeah, you weren't expecting Jake to necessarily come back this year. Is there a sense, you know, we've made jokes about Jake Browning coming back, uh, at Washington, not to the same extreme, you know, same level, but was there some excitement to see, oh, maybe somebody new coming through, but then, oh, well, the, you know, the, the veterans back again. So we're going to play him. Has there been any of that with the Oregon state fan base? Oh, completely. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting. You know, Jake Browning was kind of one of those polarizing people. People either loved him or they hated him. Not hated him, but thought they could do better. And, and Oregon State's been similar. I, I get texts from fans and, and Beaver Blitz members, you know, what what's going on? Jake Luton really is, is winning the battle and really thought that Tristan Jebbia would be that guy to kind of take the Beavers offense to a different level. But um, like I said, he's looked pretty solid. He has a really good chemistry with some returning players like Isaiah Hodgins, Trevon Bradford, some of those returning receivers. So, um, you know, he does have the height. That's one thing with Jebbia. He's he's shorter, and we've seen some, you know, have some balls knocked down with him. And and Jake just knows the offense. But, um, yeah, fans are a little, you know, kind of iffy. Like, is this going to get things done? And, you know, they've seen what he can do. You know, Oregon State won. He came back. He led them back in, in Colorado last year. It's just um, we Oregon State has not seen a lot of success under him. Um, one of one of the big uh, highlights for last year for Oregon State offensively. I mean, look, we're talking relatively, but I think this one is like a legitimate highlight for the entire Pac-12 was uh, freshman running back Jamar Jefferson, a guy you, I think, called out even before the start of the season that you were expecting him to have a pretty big year. Um, what what have you seen from him so far this spring? Is he has he made strides? Where is he? you know, physically, and, and do you think he's poised for an even bigger year on top of the, whatever it was, 240 carries for almost 1,400 yards last year? Yeah, yeah, I we I just spoke to him. He sat out this past week. They've kind of held him out a little bit to see what some of the other guys can do. Um, the biggest thing that they've really been working on with both Jermar and Art, Artavis Pierce is, is pass protection. You know, Oregon State gave up 48 sacks last year. 
Um, and that's not going to keep Jake Luton on the field. So, um, you know, and, and Jamar's like the first to say that he's really needed to work on his pass protection. So um, I, I like that one-two punch because Jamar's going to be more of that in between the tackles. He's a workhorse, whereas AP is a little more of the catch the ball in the flat and take it. He's kind of the speed guy. So um, those two together are going to be great. I, I, I don't expect any, you know, they're both healthy right now. So that's huge. Um, both were kind of dinged up by the end of last season. We've also seen BJ Baylor kind of step. I mean, every single practice that we've watched, he's, you know, had some big runs. So if Oregon State can build some depth there at running back, it'll help, I think, Jamar do do more this this year. Uh, when you talk about 48 sacks, yeah, probably the, the running backs could have, you know, chipped guys a little bit better, but it's probably <laughs> the offensive line, I would yeah. guess. Has anything there been addressed? Uh, you know, you're you're talking with, uh, you know, having a, an offensive-minded head coach, that's got to bother him to have, you know, 48 sacks given up. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, the, the O-line is, and, and you know, I, I answered, we talked a little offline just about the offensive players and, and players that have left the program, um, and I said really no impact. But the, the Beavers did lose three three starters on the offensive line, the whole right side and the center. So um, they are looking to replace those guys. It's just that they weren't, you know, all world to begin with. So, It'll be interesting. Right now, they're still waiting on a center, a transfer uh, from Arizona who played, was recruited by and played for Coach Jim Mahalachek, who is now at Oregon State. So I, I think that would be a huge get if he is able to get into grad school at Oregon State. Um, Nathan Eldridge is his name. So it's like an addition by subtraction sort of thing. Addition by, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's still not, it's a, it's a work in progress. You know, the left side is set with Blake Brandell and Gus Lavaca been there you know for for several years kind of a, a stalwart on the line there but the right side has been a little bit of a work in progress i like what we're seeing from brandon kipper he is a transfer from hawaii that came in last year um big big guy big and physical but just a lot of uncertainty i think with the line so yeah 48 sacks is, is way too many especially when your defense only got 15 so that's uh that's a big discrepancy right there but um the line is you know, lines both sides, the offense and defensive lines, are really my two biggest question marks with this season. Uh, even with all, obviously, the tumult on the offensive line, um, I was kind of impressed last year with um, what Oregon State was able to accomplish in year one with Jonathan Smith offensively. Um, it seemed like at times they were really doing some very nice things offensively, even, you know, maybe at some deficits talent-wise. Um what have you seen from just kind of having that system cohesion heading into a second year? Have they been able to add wrinkles or do you guys just look more comfortable this spring? How, how have you kind of seen that played out? Kind of both, actually. Um, that's huge. You know, so Coach Smith didn't even have his staff formed until mid-January of last year. So winter conditioning was, um, you know, he, t he Coach Smith told us at the beginning just how, you know, most of winter conditioning last year was spent just reteaching guys their system and and the, the what they wanted them to do, uh, injury prevention and different a whole different weight weights and conditioning schedule, and then spring camp last year was all new technology or new terminology, new scheme, everything. And you know, Coach Smith said he didn't want to dumb things down. He didn't want to you know change what they wanted to do just to make it easier. He wanted them to learn the right way from the get go. So. Um, this year, it's been hit the ground running. They were really pleased with what they saw from the weight room perspective during winter conditioning. And then getting those guys into spring, they were able to hit the ground right from day one. So it's been a long process. They went they went two weeks. They started in early March with spring camp, went two weeks, took two weeks off for spring break and finals. And now they're finishing up 
the last three weeks or the, these first three weeks of April. So, um, it's been a lot more football. You know, we're seeing a lot more actual 11 on 11, seven versus seven, instead of just trying to get terminology right. And every, you know, we see a lot more smiles. The guys are happy. They're, they, they feel comfortable in the system. So, um, you know, I expect fall camp then should be that much, much stronger as well. Angie, switching over to the uh, defensive side of the ball, uh, where do you expect there? I mean, you, you talked about, you know, giving uh, only getting 15 sacks last year, gave up a crap load of yards on the ground, um, one of the worst in the country. I know a couple uh, transfer linebacker transfers from the transfer portal, uh, but what? how is this defense going to get shored up or what's the strategy going forward? Yeah, the defensive line, seriously, 15 sacks. All year, they they were able to get no pressure. Uh, linebackers struggled last year to make tackles. They also played tr- three true freshman linebackers last year, so those guys are all bigger. Um, they've spent a lot of time in the weight room and know the system, so they they seem better. And they they were able to get Jordan Whitley out of the junior college ranks, big three hundred pound D tackle that already looks to have made an impact this spring. I've, I've been really impressed with him. They also regained an, another transfer who was. Here last season, but he broke his foot fall camp and wasn't able to play till the last couple games. So, so Jeremy Reichner has shown this spring that he has some pass rush ability at defensive end. So the Beavers are playing that 3-4 that they brought in last year under Coach Tibisar. It's a work in progress, I guess I'd say, but I have seen a lot of improvement over a year ago. Of course, they're going against the Oregon State offensive line, so then it's like chicken or egg. Is, is the defensive line getting better or is the offensive line just not very good? What do you pin most of the issues on last year? Was it uh, primarily just that rush, that rushing front, that front not being able to stop the rush in any kind of real cohesive way? I mean, did that just kind of lead to so many other issues? Yeah, yeah, it was it was the really up the front seven. They weren't able to stop the run and they weren't able to get any pass, any any pass rush going. So it put a lot of pressure then on the secondary I put a lot of pressure on the on the linebackers who were still, I think, in in all honesty, still learning the system, still learning terminology. Some of them are true freshmen that weren't up to you know proper weight yet. Um, it was kind of sometimes it could be a comedy of errors watching Oregon State try to tackle and they'd miss tackles and and then just not being opportunistic. There were so many times that they had a, a guy tackle wrapped up for a loss and wouldn't have him wrapped up and he'd he'd squirt out and and pick up twenty yards. So they need to get better at that wrapping up. But uh, it all started up front. It was, you know, linebackers weren't trusting their their teammates to to fill gaps. It was it wasn't pretty at all last year. But that was the one thing, you know, Coach Tibisar stressed was that they're not going to change it. They want these guys to learn it. Like I said, with offense the right way. And um, you know, everyone we've spoken to this year just says they're more comfortable, and uh, they feel like this year is going to be better. You mentioned uh, learning the system on you know both sides of the ball. Uh, it's one of the one of my pet peeves is when you have like a college system where you get these guys twenty hours a week and it's super complicated. And it, do you feel like that's the case? Is it like something that it takes guys like two years to learn, and by the time they get it, they're they're basically leaving school, or is it more just like hey, that's you know brand new coaches, everything's just kind of new to them. They just had to switch it over, but it you know it was something that was reasonable that they could grasp. Yeah, I think it is reasonable. I, you know, this Oregon State team, though, when you go back to where they were when coach, I mean, they had a head coach quit on them halfway through the season. Um, some of them, that was like their third coach. Smith was their third head coach that that they'd played for. So um, this was a team that not only did the coaching staff, Coach Smith and his staff, have to come in 
and teach their system. And Coach Smith's system is very similar to a Chris Peterson system. So I don't necessarily think it's super complicated, but it relies on guys, you know, keeping their assignment and doing their jobs. The biggest thing I think that Oregon State had to deal with last year early was the fact that it was a culture change. This was a, a group of guys, you know, I've talked to so many players and former players who said Coach Anderson took the fun out of it and they got yelled at for every mistake. Um, they, a lot of them really just didn't like football anymore. So they had to come in as a staff, see what they had, try to change the culture, make football fun again for these young men, recruit. I mean, there's all these other, you know, elements involved, but they had to change that culture. And this year it finally looks like it's, it's changing and you're seeing players trusting. They're not worried to make mistakes because they'll get yanked. They're um, having fun and they look comfortable. Um, Three of the the transfers coming in um, this year, uh, Tristan Jebbia, Tyjon Lindsay, and uh, Avery Roberts, linebacker, uh, they're all from Nebraska. And I remember this was a bit of a story back in October when Scott Frost got a little upset about um, Oregon State. He, I think, was accusing that Oregon State was contacting early. Have you heard anything more about this? Has this has this led to you know a freeze on any potential transfers from Nebraska? I mean, have you heard anything new about this little hubbub? No, not at all. Yeah, Scott Frost got a little, little uh, snarky about that. But um, you know, really, it was a couple guys that weren't playing or weren't going to, you know, with the new staff, and they'd been recruited by Coach Riley. Oregon State needed players, and uh, it was kind of a an easy, you know, especially with Tyjon and Tristan both being from the West Coast, it was an easier. Ch- you know, decision to move closer to home. Um, Avery Roberts, that was a, a Trent Bray who was the linebacker coach at Nebraska. They, you know, he flat out said, I'm following coach, uh, coach Bray. So um, I, I think Oregon state's really excited about those guys, just an upgrade in talent. They're winners. They um, have that mentality that they've brought to the team. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they do. Yeah. Um, one of the, I want to look back at the recruiting class a little bit, uh, 68th ranked class in the country, uh, end up being last in the pac 12, a bunch of players in from California. What, what did you feel about the recruiting class? And there's some people you think could make an immediate impact. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, a local recruiting writer up here in Portland said it was Oregon state's worst class ever. And I don't necessarily think it's that, that bad. They address needs, but, uh, these kids we're also very Oregon State, you know, looked for guys that, that wanted to be beavers. And it's not an easy task when you're one of the worst pack or worst teams in the country. So um, I love Omar Spates. He is a player. He was a four star at one point He from Philadelphia, transferred out to Corvallis. His brother is Jeremy Reichner, who I mentioned earlier as a defensive end. Super aggressive young man. So he's already on campus, enrolled early, and uh, is already making an impact at linebacker. So he's one I'm watching. Luke Musgrave is not, not on campus yet. Tight end at a bend. Big kind of a, it was a big recruiting coup for Oregon State when they landed him. His dad and his uncle both played, were very highly, you know, talented quarterbacks at University of Oregon. And the Ducks had offered him and he stick, stuck with Oregon State commitments. So big tight end out of, out of Bend, Oregon. And, uh, you know, Cal came in on him. Washington kind of came in. UCLA came in on him. Uh, he's definitely going to make some waves early. All right. And we actually have a Twitter question. This is from G60 at 60. Looks like probably like three underscores. It's kind of hard to tell G60. You should make that more clear. Um, All right. So the question is, and I think this speaks to something we were just talking about, but maybe we'll require you to say something 
very definitive here. Uh, is our line good enough to have a non-mobile QB? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think definitely it is what we've been seeing a lot of from Jake Luton is the fact that he's doing a lot of quick, quick out, quick passes. We saw that Saturday. I expect we see more of that this this coming weekend at the spring game. We're seeing getting those receivers in space. We're, I've seen a couple times they've been using Isaiah Smalls tight end as more of a receiver role, getting him out in, in kind of the middle of the field in the flats. So um, I definitely think that they will work toward that lack. It's not like anybody, aside from Jack Coletto, um, it's not like any of the quarterbacks are super mobile. So, um, you know, obviously Jake Luton is probably the least mobile of the bunch, but Jake can also gun it down the field as well. So um, I, I think in this day and age, so many teams have gone mobile quarterback. I don't mind having a more pro style in the pocket passer, but um, it's got to, he's got to make quick decisions. Angie, uh, the Oregon State spring game will be this Saturday, 11 a.m. live on Pac-12 Network. What are you expecting to see? Is this going to be like a real game? Like I cover USC. They just basically had a practice. It wasn't really any kind of game. Is this going to be a game atmosphere, keeping score, things like that? Or is this going to be like a practice? It's, it's going to be more of a practice. I mean, they'll do some 11 on 11. They may keep some score. I, the one in Portland this past weekend, they called a showcase. So I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be a little more like that. So um, be more game than we've seen in the past, just because they have a little more depth this year that they can go. But, you know, these coaches, they, they only get 15 practices and sometimes they don't want to give it up in a game format. All right. All right. I'm sorry, Dave. No, you, you, you go. Do your thing. <laughs> All right. That was Eddie Machado covering the Oregon State Beavers for 24-7 Sports. Beaverblitz.com. Angie does a great job, as always. Um, I know, David, you're, you're not a big fan of Angie, but I like her, so I'm not sure like what your beef with her is. Look, Ryan, we talked about that off air. We weren't supposed to bring it up. This is now awkward. <laughs> I are, see how it is. We are both big I fans. I have to send Ryan We Ryan love Angie. Sorry, Dave. I'll send Ryan the wine. That's how it works. Yes. Okay. (sighs) Free wine. He's done me in again. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Angie, we really do appreciate you coming on and uh, spending some time with us. And you you gave me my my last second email uh, update right before this. So you're always doing a great job. We we appreciate you helping us out here. It's it's great to have like the Pac-12 publishers around. 24-7 Sports really help us out because we don't know anything. So we need you guys. We need the experts. (laughs) You guys know plenty, but uh, always a good time talking with you guys. And hopefully there'll be some better stuff to talk Oregon State here this this season. Hopefully. Thanks, Angie. Well, good stuff uh, from Angie, Dave, talking Oregon State. We got some questions and stuff we get to. But before we do that, I want to tell everyone about Mac Weldon. Our mission at Mac Weldon is simple, to make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. We've talked about Mac Weldon before. It's better than whatever you're wearing right now. It is a premium brand, great stuff. I just ordered a few things I'm going to talk to you about. In a minute, they believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. You go to their website, macweldon.com. Very simple to get around and check things out. They have a a cool line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. But I want to talk to you about the sweatpants I just got. There's the Ace and the Radius sweatpants. So if you go to macweldon.com, you can check them out. I love them both. The Ace is more of your like 
kind of more traditional sweatpants, but they got pockets and stuff. So if you're going to go out for a workout, you know, jog around the block, whatever you want to do, you can do that with those. The radius ones, I've actually used them as golf pants. They're like a little bit, I guess you'd say fancier uh, of pants, but I love them both. Uh, just got them from Mac Weldon and, uh, you know, shipping was really quick and easy and had a great time with those. Very easy to use. And I want to make sure you guys check those out. If you, I've always hard time finding sweatpants. I have longer legs. Both these fit really well. So I, I love them and I want to make sure you guys check it out. And we have a deal for you. If you want to go to MacWeldon.com, they're going to give you 20% off your first order. Just go to MacWeldon.com and then enter promo code POC at checkout. That's promo code POC at MacWeldon.com. Make sure you look for the, the sweatpants, Ace and Radius. Check them out. I think you're going to love them. That was beautiful. Thanks, man. They I mean, good. you really nailed that. I was I was really proud of you throughout that entire thing. But, you know, we we do our best uh, live read stuff, but it, it's cool. Like I, I love the I love the stuff. <laughs> I wear it all the time. So, but the sweatpants, the the one when the radius ones came in, I'm like, oh, these are, I could wear these for golf. So I did. You're not a big, awesome. You're not a big golfer guy, though, right? No, but I'll tell you this: um, I haven't watched golf on TV in ten years. And I watched Sunday. That was cool. It Watching was, Tiger win the Masters was super cool. It was pretty cool. And they, you know, it was a we- little weird because they the weather was coming in. So you got to watch it early. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of neat uh, to get up early and, um, and and check it out. I didn't, I ended up playing a lot of, I was at the beach a lot Saturday. So I didn't play volleyball and stuff. So I didn't really get a chance to watch as much that day. Uh, but it was Sunday. Got to watch like the whole thing because, you know, it was you wake up at seven in the morning is already on like the, the leaders already teed off, which was very strange, but uh, it was definitely cool. And I never rooted for tiger like when he was really good, but for whatever reason I'm rooting for him now, you just want to kind of see him, you know, I'd like to see him get to like, cause it's fun seven. to watch an old man do stuff. Yeah. You know, it is fun. To watch him. It, <laughs> it makes me feel better. Like, Oh, <laughs> uh, but it's so funny. Cause he used to just mash the ball like better than everybody. And now there's like all these younger kids that just, absolutely destroy you watch these guys swing you're like holy cow uh but he's well, that 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 Finau guy he was with was just bashing it like <laughs> full like 50 yards beyond him every single time it was great yeah he's from i think he's from tonga um and grew up like bought he bought like 95 cent clubs or something and learned, like some of these guys grew up on a country club you know and there's guys like him that just grew up you know playing with whatever they could find uh it's in like the dustin johnson guy like he can like 360 dunk you know he's this huge dude and um Bruce, brooks kepka who was like the who finished in second he's won three majors in the last these two, guys two. all have just such golf names they have bruce such <laughs> like southern <laughs> golf names there was something called a web simpson golfing on yes, sunday there's a web simpson and let me tell you about web simpson i haven't watched golf again in 10 years and i was like wow this is actually moving pretty fast i'm enjoying this and then they like they show me a couple of holes of Webb Simpson golfing, and I wanted to drive down to Augusta and murder that guy. <laughs> I don't think anyone I've ever seen has golfed that slow. He, I haven't golfed that slow. I've been golfing twice. <laughs> I lose my balls all the time, and I don't golf that slow. That was incredible. He's meticulous. He would I guess, set yeah. up to shoot, and then he would walk up, look at the green, look at the look at the area in front of the green. Then he'd walk back to the ball, set up again, then do the whole thing again. He did that like four times in a row on like a little pitch onto the green. It was crazy. Yeah. I think Kevin Nas kind of slow. I don't know a lot of like the, 
you know, I know some no, of them. But this guy being named Webb Simpson doing that was just, God, it was perfect yeah. golf. It was perfect golf. You would like Bruce Kepka, Kepka you would like, because he's basically like a linebacker. Like he's this enormous dude that just absolutely Yeah, I watched, I watched him hit the ball into the water a couple of times. That yeah. was fun. <laughs> a lot of those guys did. Uh, but it was cool. Wow, we talked like masters on here. It was like, it was a big deal. Like on Twitter, like everybody was talking about it and like someone like yourself that doesn't watch golf for you to watch it. Like that's a big deal. So I think that that's helped golf. I think has gone down a lot in popularity since tiger basically. Um, well, yeah, because if you're not watching it for tiger woods, you're watching it and you're seeing guys like Brooks Kepka or <laughs> Webb Simpson or all these stupid names. These just, you know, just they're not people you root for in life. They're people you root against in movies. Like yeah. they're just these aren't these are not these are not good shooter people. McGavin. Yeah, they're all shooter McGavin. You don't want that. So no, I mean nobody's gonna watch that. It's just villains playing against each other. Well, Dustin. And so I, Dustin Johnson, I think, had like a cocaine problem. He married Wayne Gretzky's daughter. You know, like there's he's he's someone you could root yeah, for. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he's of the people. Yeah. <laughs> At least he has a normal name, Dustin Johnson, I guess. Yeah, fun stuff. I've, I've like, I went a couple of years ago. Just we got to see a practice round. It's so snooty, like to get in there. It's snooty and it's like really hard. But like once you get in the in the Augusta, everything is cheap. You can get like a pimento cheese sandwich for like two bucks or something, or a buck fifty. Beers are cheap, so it, it was really a fun uh, time. So I would I would like to go down there again. But all the stories you hear is like. That guy got arrested. Someone tried to steal sand, like in 2012, and uh, they like arrested him, and like it was like horrible. Like the, the what he went through, they put him on TV and all this stuff, and it basically like ruined his life um, for like trying to take some sand out of one of the bunkers there. So they they take themselves pretty seriously in your in your home state of Georgia, David. Yeah, I mean it's crazy golf culture people. I yeah. mean. Uh, there's not a lot of good there. I mean, it's all just like really just awful people almost to a man's. And I do say to a man because it's like 100 percent men. But anyway, moving on yeah. from the masters. We do have white uh, men. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as always, we love John Wilner. Check out the hotline uh, email list that he sends out the newsletter and what he had. Uh, a little tidbit today, he was uh, talking about what Greg Hansen wrote. So he's a columnist for the Arizona Daily Star. And so three new basketball hires, uh, head coaching hires, happened in the conference. But the weird thing is, Dave, uh, there wasn't a lot of diversity with those hires. So all three were Caucasian, white, whatever you want to say. Um, and see, so, so Greg said for the first time uh, since 1972 – there are no African-American head coaches uh, in the conference. And John Milner actually suggested something that I believe the SEC does is setting up a group of former coaches or athletic directors to kind of serve as an advisory board, advanced scouting. So if a coaching search comes up, you could go to, you know, the advisory board would kind of help out like, hey, we think this would be a good direction to go, um, you know, especially, you know, with diversity issues and things like that. And I, maybe it's, you know, the Pac-12's own version of the Rooney rule or whatever. Uh, but, the, you know, obviously each school, each university would have the final say. But uh, having some side, sort of advisory board to try to help uh, direct the searches. I don't know if you think that's a good idea or not. Or what do you think about the whole thing that there's no African-American head coaches in college basketball in the Pac-12? It's horrible. Um, I mean, 
it's horrible at all levels how few African-American coaches there are when if you look at the players in any of these sports, I mean, in basketball, it's, it's I mean, mostly white, NBA, right? It's mostly white guys. Yeah, I don't right? watch I don't watch like, a lot of the, basketball at, at the NBA level. It's got to be, I don't know, <laughs> 70 or 80 percent. Right. At least. Yeah. Something like that. Um, <laughs> NFL. I think it's it might even be more extreme. Um, so when you when you're drawing from former players, largely for coaching, as we've talked about on this show and the coaching, uh, the, the coaching ranks do not represent the same proportion uh, of, of, you know, demographics as the players do. You've got a problem. Um, something is going wrong in the hiring process. Something's going wrong in the candidate pool where um, uh, African-American coaches aren't getting the same opportunities as, as white coaches. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. Um, and I think this is one solution that Wilner is positing, and I think it's a fine one, but I don't think it by itself solves it. I don't think the Rooney rule has done much of anything to solve the NFL's issue in this department. I think they need, you need to take it from all levels, but I think at the fundamental level, it has to start at the university. Um, the universities making the hires need to be more conscious. Um, now speaking of UCLA's, um, I, I, I think the tough thing is, well, I think this is kind of true for the Pac-12 in general, is most of the time they're not, most Pac-12 schools aren't going to hire a new head coach. They're not going to hire somebody who doesn't have college head coaching experience. Um, And the unfortunate reality is African-Americans aren't getting opportunities at even the lower level schools. They're not getting the WCC jobs. They're not getting the WAC jobs. They're not getting all of these lower conference jobs. Um, and I think that is where the inherent issue is because it's not like, I, I mean, I, and I, I could be wrong and I could be speaking a little bit out of turn. It's not like, you know, random, you know, white former player is getting hired as a, as a college head basketball coach at a particular school. Um, but they are, are at a particular high major school, but they are getting opportunities at the lower levels that African-Americans aren't getting. And then not being afforded the opportunities to rise up from there. Um, so I think the basis, and this is kind of just spitballing and I should really research more before I do this sort of thing, but I would think the basis of the issue would actually come at the lower levels, the low majors and mid majors where these opportunities aren't coming because that's, that's really the pool that most high major schools are drawing from when they're hiring coaches. Yeah. It's different in college. Like in the NBA, they, they could hire, you know, your, your point guard retires, Someone might hire him to be the head coach. Now, it's weird with the NBA, right? But with college, it's like you need that established, someone that's recruited, gone through the system and all that stuff. It, I, I'm not sure why it's a big difference, but the NBA, they seem to just take flyers on former players like all the time. Yeah. I mean, it happens. I mean, Jason Kidd was a former player. Um, God, there's got to be more. Tyron Lue, uh, like the, you know, he, the Lakers. Tyron Lue, Luke uh, Walton um, wasn't a point guard, but. Um, but I mean, I'm looking at the NBA now and according to a story from the end of 2018, uh, just six African-American coaches out of 30 teams. Wow. That's just nuts. I mean, that's, and that's, that's a fundamental issue and beyond what we're talking about with college hoops. Um, because these are guys a lot of times who, yeah, it is kind of their first job or they were an assistant for a while. So you got to look at the, the ranks of the assistant pools and why guys like, I don't know. Like a Lawrence Frank who never played is elevated over some other guy who's um, an assistant coach. Um, you know, I would think 
I don't know. I, there's not an easy answer for it. Um, I think you do need um, you, you need some advisory board. I think that's a good instinctual call from Wilner. But I think you also need uh, each of these institutions and each of these teams taking it upon themselves to um, be more conscious of these things and be truly. I mean, the, the, the spirit of the Rooney rule is great. I, I think the execution has been poor, but like truly, you know, look into that and take that as, okay, we need to actually focus on this. And if, and frankly, you need to make calls like if it's relatively equal between two candidates, representation matters and opt for, you know, representing a a broader demographic. Um, And I think those sorts of calls are the kind of decisions that these teams and organizations need to start making that they are very clearly not making at this time. Uh, Earl Watson is another one, right? He he ended up being an assistant for like the Spurs and then the Suns for a couple of years. But like he it, was a head coach. No, yeah, no, no. He then he, head, yeah he was, but then he became yeah. the head coach. Yeah. So like it was like he was an assistant for two years and became a head coach, you know. So it seems like they do that in the NBA. They're willing to take. But then, you know, if you don't work, they'll get rid of you fast, too. <laughs> so in college, yeah, it's like it, once you get in, it seems like, oh, someone else will hire you. Someone else will hire you, you know. Well, and Earl's, I think, an instructive example of like this not necessarily working out the right way because he was hired basically to tank. Like they, uh, the whole, we don't like the thing is, I wouldn't have hired Earl as the UCLA head coach mostly because he doesn't have any college coaching experience whatsoever. And I think for this hire, they just weren't going to hire somebody with no experience. But I don't think it's like proof that he's a bad coach. Like if you look at what he did at Phoenix, that was a team that was designed to tank and they tanked. I mean, that was the point. They were supposed to be damn near last, and they finished, I think, damn near last. Um, but I don't think that's proof or, or, or not proof that he's a good coach or a bad coach or whatever. Um, and I, I think, you know, he was not given much of an opportunity beyond that. He, he coached three games in the year after they were designed to tank, and then they fired him. And apparently he was told before the start of the season they were firing him. Um, so... I don't know. I, 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 there's obviously a big problem there. Um, it needs to be solved by much smarter people than me. But um, I think it has to happen at, at many different levels. I think it would help if the conference, uh, going back to the Pac-12, I think it would help if the conference put, supplied direction and supplied an advisory board. But I think at the institutional level, it needs to happen. And at the and even beyond the institutional level, it needs to happen within these athletic departments. And the ADs themselves need to be conscious of these things. When you're hiring you know, random former players um, and, you know, uh, you, you can end up with a lot of dummies as your athletic d- directors who are just going to hire guys who've been hired before. And then you end up with this circular feedback loop. Um, so there it, it, there's it's a it's a multi-level systemic issue. Um, it's you know, it's racism. But we, uh, <laughs> you know, at, at, at all these levels, we need to solve it in some way. All right. Uh, well, that was the only topic I had outside of the questions, Dave. Do you want to jump in? I think we start with Blake. I can do that if you want, or if you would like to, whatever you'd like to do. I would love to do Blake's. Okay. This is from Montlake Blake, non-revenue sport bucket list. Gents, March Madness is over and now enters the doldrums of college sports fandom. Fandom. Fandom, not fandrum. I don't think there was an R in there, but that. No, no, because I was thinking of doldrums. (laughs) Oh, very good. Brian, Brian, do you know what doldrums are? Yes, I I, I could even I could even help you with that one. But I I get where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In honor of the conference of non-revenue sport champions, I'd like to take a quick moment to direct a question to you and your 
247 colleagues and or to your loyal listeners, perhaps a Twitter question. This also dovetails nicely into a plug for an upcoming event. So first, my question. If each Pac-12 school could be defined by one non-revenue sport, i.e. not football and men's basketball, which would it be? Mm. And it, and then two, if there would be one non-revenue event a Pac-12 fan should add to their bucket list, what would it be? I'd be curious how you would answer as representatives of UCLA and USC. So he All is right. looking forward to the doldrums of our podcasting life, right? Like he, he's going to just try that to help seems- us out. I think so. I think that's what Montlake Blake is afterward. Um, So, all right. So what's USC's best non-revenue? Okay. So, I mean, historically, it would probably have to either be track where they won a crap load of titles a long time ago or baseball where they won a crap load of titles a long time ago. Uh, But they like they have, I think. 12 national championships in baseball and the closest school is like five. So like they still, they haven't won since 98, but they've won a whole bunch. Um, so if you, it depends on if you're going to say like compare it to the rest of the field, they still have, you know, just crushed everybody. Um, it could, you know, what the water polo ones could, because they've won like every other year, they've won one of those. Uh, tennis might be in there, but I would. I think it's either probably going to be track or or baseball. Track was just not as recent. They they won. Uh, I guess last year the women won, um, but they've won a lot in track back in the day. So I don't know. I, I'd go track or baseball. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, UCLA is similarly hard for um, other sports, really. Um, so you can go men's volleyball. Uh, that is a big one uh ucla has i don't know like a million national titles <laughs> in men's volleyball let me count them 19 there's 19 uh ncaa titles so i think by any reasonable definition it would probably be men's volleyball um but you know, women's volleyball was uh, also pretty good the men's volleyball i well wasn't it the same coach was it the same coach that coached both yeah it was al skates so yeah. no, al skate al skates did um uh, he did all 19 titles in men's and then Andy Banikowski, who was coached by Al Skates, did the women's. Okay. Because when, uh, when the, the recent arrest came, um, and why am I blanket on the, uh, 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 the, uh, USC water polo coach coached the men and the women and he won national. Jovan. Jovan. Jovan right? uh, yeah. So he won 16 national championships. And I was like, he's probably the most prolific coach in USC sports history, maybe NCAA. And then someone pointed out, no, there's a, you know, the, the volleyball coach for UCLA won 19 national titles. So like, yep, yeah, that's, that's a lot, but that's a lot of titles. You're talking something like that. It'd be hard to beat that for men's volleyball, especially if it's all one coach. Yeah. Well, and it started in, I mean, it was 1953 was the first one and 2006 was the last one. The same dude. Well, that can't be right. Can, can it? Like, is no, I think I'm counting a bunch of titles that were not skates in here. So there were so Wikipedia is failing me right here. There were 19 NCAA. So that started in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Okay, so, 19, so 1970 to 2006, he had all 19 in wow. that stretch. Okay. That's, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot by itself. 
Um, okay, so that's one option. Um, another option is softball, where they've been 11-time NCAA champions. That's a lot, um, yeah. That's also a lot. Gymnastics is pretty good. Seven uh, women's gymnastics titles. Um, yeah, those are probably the biggest ones. I mean, they've had their runs in soccer, and they've had their runs in tennis. And water polo, for that matter. Uh, but I think their water polo has kind of fallen down on uh, hard times of late. Um, yeah, they haven't had a men's in a while. I don't know. Anyway, it's probably it's probably men's volleyball. Anyway, yeah, that would be that would make sense. You could if you want to do percentage. I think USC women's beach volleyball won like the first three national titles and then they lost like last year. So they're like 75% of them or something stupid. Uh, but that I wouldn't really count that. Um, so USC, UCLA each have over a hundred national titles. Uh, Stanford, I believe still has the most and they always win that Sears cup or whatever they call that thing now. Uh, so Stanford would be an interesting, all those schools because they have so many titles. I think it's harder to pick like one, but like, Oregon State might be baseball, you know, or something, you know, with the recent national titles. Um, you might know some of the other schools. So we should probably, maybe we'll send a mass email and try to get answers for the other schools uh, to Blake's question. Yeah. And he has two, he has some answers uh, for his questions as okay. well. Um, one, oh, and did we answer the what, one non revenue oh. event a Pac 12 fan should add to their bucket list? What would it be? Okay. So one, Non-revenue event. Go watch UCLA gymnastics. It's a ton of fun. That I mean, those are viral video things. Uh, yeah, it's actually really fun. Yeah, that would be neat. I've never, I've never really seen a gymnastics meet. Uh, that would be, that would be kind of. I've watched water polo before, and I didn't find. I mean, I don't know it well, but I think so much action goes on under the water. It's boring. Yeah. It's super boring. Um, I mean, baseball, you know. I mean, track meets are kind of interesting. There's stuff going on, but nothing, you know. I think gymnastics. There's a lot. There's a high entertainment value there. That's that's a good. One. But I haven't I haven't seen it myself. Yeah. All right, and then he says, as for my answers to the above questions, one as a Washington fan, and there may be some disagreement on this. I'd have to say that sport would be rowing. UW has won numerous national titles in women's and particularly men's rowing, and is chronicled in the best-selling book, The Boys in the Boat. Well worth a read. The Washington men's rowing team won a gold medal in the 1936 Olympics, defeating Germany and Italy with Hitler in attendance. Two, if a Pac-12 fan wanted a truly unique sporting experience, I'd highly recommend attending the Windermere Cup in Seattle. This annual rowing event is coming up Saturday, May 4th, and features numerous local club teams, with the main event being the UW women versus UCLA and the German national team, while the UW men will take on Boston U and the German national team. Thousands of fans will crowd the edges of the Montlake Cut, not far from Husky Stadium, to cheer on the various crews that row over the course of the day and perhaps enjoy a few libations. The event concludes with a boat parade that signals the beginning of boating season. It's an incredibly fun way to watch America's oldest collegiate sport and feels like a brief stop in a bygone era. I still kick myself for not having attended all through college. Thanks for the pod and for fielding my email. 143 days as of this writing until college football season kicks off. Go dogs, Montlake Blake. So that was like five days ago. So 138 days, I guess now until college I football guess so. yeah, yep, yep. kicks off. Yeah. So a boating themed uh, email from Blake, I guess. Uh, and I, you know, 
I definitely recommend. I, I think I'll be going up this year. USC plays at Washington this year. So the uh, sailgating is highly recommended. I think we've talked about that on the show before. Uh, they love their boats up there in Seattle. And what, you know, got a lot of water, so it makes sense. Yep. Uh, have you done that? Did we talk about that? Have I done the sailgating? Yeah. No, I have not. You have not. It's uh, it's cool. Definitely recommend that one. Um, we actually, so if you remember, we had a question from Hithla Day uh, before. Let me see what was. Uh, oh, crap. I just lose it. Um, so about the, uh, for Colorado. So he really enjoyed when we had Adam Munster Tiger on. Um, and he, he asked was, about the skinny, skinny Colorado lineman, right? Yes. Yes. It was a skinny, skinny Colorado lineman. So, uh, Adam actually wrote us back. He said, uh, sorry. He actually said, David, oh, I guess cause it's an email to the, it's your name's yeah. on the email. He said, sorry for the delay in my response. I thought as well, I was waiting to, uh, for practice and forgot about it. So in case you want to talk about your next show, we do Adam. So he said, going to just one bowl game in 11 years is the biggest factor in why, Colorado's lines have resembled that of a Mountain West program. The blue chip ready to go linemen typically go to winning programs. So the buffs have had to find linemen. They felt they could develop over time. And during Mike McIntyre's six year tenure, he preferred signing a three-star lineman that they could put weight on rather than a three-star lineman that was heavy and was perceived to be out of shape. This strategy has worked out well for players like uh, William Sherman, who arrived at Boulder at 250 pounds and a year and a half later was a solid 305. Many of the leaner linemen they have signed, though, have struggled to put on a lot of good weight. Even when Colorado had had success with 10 wins in 2016, the lack of size on the Buffs lines was exposed by Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. Mel Tucker is definitely putting an emphasis on size in the trenches, and it started by going the junior college ranks for reinforcements earlier this winter. They're currently trying to use the excitement of being a new staff with SEC ties to their advantage, with the 2020 high school prospects. But for the long-term success in recruiting quality linemen with size, they'll have to start consistently playing in bowl games again. That's interesting. Okay. So, so it was a strategy. Like they, I, I feel like sometimes you get a 300-something a pound guy and it's a lot of bad weight and they don't want to do that. So his strategy was to get 250-pound guys and put, put muscle on them. Yeah. And it is, I mean, I, I would probably prefer that, all things considered. Um, having like just kind of anecdotally looked at some of the guys UCLA has brought in over the last like 10, 15 years, generally the ones who are really, really out of shape, never quite get there. Um, but I've seen a ton of guys go from 260 to 300 and be, you know, in pretty good shape throughout that entire period. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's probably the better strategy unless you get Super freaky guys, but I mean, most of the time, if a guy's like, as we talked about on the last show, if a guy's over like 300 in high school, I mean, most of the time, that's going to be a lot of bad weight, yeah. like, no matter what they're doing. Um, so unless you're going into the South and you've got some super freak athletes who can carry 330 in high school with no trouble. Um, yeah, I would I would pretty much always opt for skinnier guys that you can build up. Cool. Oh, all right. This is from Marco Oregon. Hi guys, love the show. I had a question about Oregon's last recruiting class. I recall hearing that they recruited too many too many players and did not have enough scholarships to go around. Do you know what they did to correct the issue? Thanks, Marco. I don't think we do. We need to follow up with our people at Oregon because that was one of our that was I think our first spring show many months ago. Yeah, <laughs> talking about uh, what Oregon did in recruiting. 
um, because they did get to the point where I think they still had to ditch. They basically had to clear off like I think two or three more to I, get down to the right number. If I remember correctly, that is right. And I sent an email before the show started to uh, Kevin Wade to see if uh, he was going to respond during the show. He so far has not. So this might be a follow-up for next week. Uh, we'll we'll probably get back to you then, Marco, because I there's some recollection of it, like Dave said, but I don't I don't think we know for sure how that was all corrected. Yeah, well, you know it's 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 hard enough to keep track of all of the screwy roster dynamics at the schools we cover. <laughs> uh, we're probably never going to be able to do it on the on a real level with the other schools. We might, you know, I'm curious to see. Now that there's, it's kind of another recruiting period sort of starting right now. Like coaches can go out on the road and, uh, and evaluate high school players. But I, I think we're going to get, we've heard some more transfer portal people coming out, um, and signing with, uh, other schools. But I think there's going to be a point where like a you know, place like Oregon, you can't really bring anyone in cause you're full. Um, I, Illinois just took a couple of uh, U.S. former USC players and brought them in. There's just not a lot of spots from the people I've talked to around the country. So what ends up happening there? You might see some people go down, you know, drop a division or something, or return to the school uh, they were. But we're going to hear a lot about how much room people have left because there's the transfer portal stuff. I think is going to start heating up over the next couple of months again. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. Um... Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that at various schools. All right. We got a Hithla Day. This one, uh, no no Latin or anything in the subject. It's just for a cause. <laughs> uh, I know you boys have talked about this in a head-shaking sort of way, and this question is going to sound like it might be snarky or rhetorical, but I sincerely like to, I'd sincerely like to hear your genuine and in-depth opinions on the state of internal politics at the schools you cover so why haven't Lynn Swan and Dan Guerrero been fired yet? And what's it going to take? Do you want to go you first? Want me to start? Yeah, go yeah ahead. I can start. Okay. Um, so the, the, w- what I've settled on is my evaluation of Dan Guerrero is he's not very good at the hiring and firing of coaches and he's good at most of the other stuff. Um, uh, budget, you know, running a department in the black fundraising, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that stands him in good stead at UCLA, um, with the powers that be there. Um, I, I don't think he's ever been in any danger of losing his job. I don't think he is. Um, so recently there was a story that came out about, um, further stuff with the college admission scandal. Um, and not really actually kind of semi unrelated. Um, but, it's in the same vein, basically UCLA. Um, the LA times reported a story uh, about a UCLA internal investigation from five or six years ago, uh, looking into some people who had been admitted, um, into athletic programs on campus who didn't necessarily fit the qualifications for those athletic programs contingent upon a donation to the school, or that was the gist of the article. Um, and, it's different because it's obviously not a personal bribe. And if this happened at a private school, um, it would be just, this is, this is how things are done at a private school. Um, but because it's happening at a public school, um, obviously that's, that's a different deal. And I, I don't know if that sort of thing would ever, I, I, I sincerely do not believe that Dan Guerrero will ever be fired from UCLA, but what I could see is a scenario where 
maybe there was more talk of an extension before, and maybe now it's okay, Dan, maybe it's time to retire whenever he's ready. Um, but I just, I have a hard time seeing them summon the will to do that unless something truly scandalous happened. Um, and UCLA has largely avoided true scandals under Guerrero. Um, it's just been momentary blips, you know, like just weird kind of PR things, but nothing that you could really pin on the AD itself. Um, so I just, I don't think there's internal will because largely he, he does run the pro he runs the athletic department financially in a really good way. Um, and that's, I think, I think that's what, what plays with, um, with, with everyone at UCLA. Yeah, good stuff there. And I think, you know, for Dan Guerrero, he came, came in uh, as an athletic director at a couple other schools. Was it UC Irvine and, and somewhere else, right? Was he? Uh, yeah, he couple? was UCI. I don't know if he was Dominguez Hills as well, but he was, yeah, he was a, uh, he was a, he had been an, an athletic director, just not at the um, super, you know, at a football program before. Yeah. You know, Lin Swan is just figurehead guy. He's never done anything in the athletic administration or any kind of, you know, hiring, firing of anybody of any kind. So it was just more of a figurehead sort of thing. So he doesn't have that, uh, you know, running the books well and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think he does really fundraising well now because he's not very popular because of some of the decisions he made. So USC's case, they've done this three times in a row, just hiring former football players. At least Mike Garrett was actually working in the athletic department when they hired him. Uh, and Pat Hayden, you could almost understand, like you could see some of his experience maybe would have panned out but Lin Swan was just like they plucked him out of western Pennsylvania like there was he he had nothing to do with the school at the time they hired him I, I, I it's baffling to me uh just some booster that wanted to see Lin Swan be the athletic director basically probably made that happen uh I now that USC has a new president coming in July 1st and that sitting athletic director has had three of his employees over the last year and a half uh arrested uh by the FBI <laughs> I, I think he's potentially on the chopping block, you know, and a uh, very unpopular decision to to bring back Clay Helton and things like that. So I think, you know, if if Carol Full comes in and is just like, look, we, we need to hire an athletic director who's been an athletic director before because this is – you're talking about a program that has over 100 national championships like we just said, and you hire an athletic director who's never done that before. It doesn't really make any sense, you know, so – uh, it's all going to depend on the new president, uh, Hithliday. Um, a lot of the, most USC fans that I talk to would like to see him gone. We don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, but now that a new president's in there, at least you know it, it could happen this uh, this summer. You know, there's uh, you, there's grounds for like, hey, three of your employees have been arrested by the FBI in the last year and a half. We're probably going to go in another direction. Like that, that's completely understandable. Don't know if it'll happen, uh, but that's. That's where uh, USC is right now, Hitler Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, I think a lot of, I think a lot of fans of both schools would be would be happy to see a change in the athletic department. But I think, uh, in UCLA's case, it's just, I think it's gonna, it's gonna. I mean, Dan Guerrero is now sixty-seven years old, so I don't think he's gonna be doing this a whole lot longer. But the question is, what whether a whole lot longer is a year or four years, and I. It's just hard to say at this point. Yeah. All right. And then we have, let's go. All right. This is Anthony. All right. Which Pac-12 program, basketball or football, are you most optimistic and pessimistic about going into next season? Oh, foot like basketball. Um, I don't know. It's like, oh. 
I don't, I'm, I'm not, that's not really my area of expertise. What would you say, David, for in the Pac-12, who's going to be, who's going to be good next year and who's going to like, you think not going to be very good? I think the ones that have the easiest line of being good in basketball are probably Arizona and Oregon. Um, I don't think you can count out Washington or UCLA. Washington just, they graduated a lot of their team, um, a lot of their seniors from last year. Um, God, why are we talking basketball, Anthony? Why uh, are you doing this to us? It's not the offseason yet, really. Yeah, and then pessimistic about, um, I mean, Washington State and Cal, probably. I, no, actually, Washington State, I'm more optimistic about. Um, Cal, definitely pessimistic about. You don't like uh, the hire that Cal made, right? Yeah, I didn't like Mark Fox. Um, I think Kyle Smith is more of a chance at Washington State. Um, and who else am I pessimistic about? I don't know what for USC they've they're bringing in like the number one or two class or something in the country, but they still have the same coaching staff. So I don't know like if it's yeah, I, I I would never get optimistic or pessimistic about USC. It just seems like kind of a you know they're 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 like just rolling the dice every year and seeing what happens. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe Oregon State. I don't know, but they've been fine. Really, it was Washington State, but I, I kind of liked their hire, so I, I can't pick them. But let's just say Cal. All right. And then football. Oh, okay. So, well, the hype, the, the school with the most hype is Oregon right now. Um, they're going to have a lot of attention, but I'm not – I I – I think I'm still optimistic for Oregon. Like I'm, I'm kind of buying some of this hype here. Uh, I think I'm optimistic for Washington. Um, in the North, maybe a little pessimistic for Washington State, but I can't be pessimistic towards Stanford because every time you do that, they they win ten games and you know win the North and stuff like that. So I, I feel like I'm kind of neutral on Stanford. I mean, definitely Oregon State pessimistic there. Just. It's just tough. I mean, it's just going to be tough for them to do much. Um, I think I'm a little optimistic for Arizona. Mm-hmm. I might be a little pessimistic for Arizona State, but I that, that didn't work out so well last year. But I'll, I'll probably be neutral on ASU. Um, I'll be a little optimistic on UCLA. I think they can turn things around. I'm kind of neutral on USC. Uh, a little optimistic for Utah and probably... Neutral to pessimistic for Colorado. Uh, did I go through okay. them all? What, what, what do you, you think? You of? really did. You really did. You didn't You didn't say most or you didn't say least about anything. You just, I know. You just said, yeah. I'm trying to think. That was yeah. great. That was really, that was really good answer. That was a really good answer to Anthony's question. Um, well, Ryan, being a political man, is trying to give the political answer at all times. <laughs> Me, um, I'm most optimistic about Washington, uh, mostly because it will it will really prove our theory about what was wrong with that team if they just go out and are gangbusters next year. So I'm optimistic about Washington. I am probably most pessimistic about UCLA because I'm a crazy person. Um, <laughs> but I mean, also legitimately, I'm I am a little pessimistic about that one. Um, I I got to watch some spring ball this year. Uh, there was some good, um, but not necessarily enough good that I'm going to think they're going to go like what they probably need to do, which is like a seven and five or eight and four this year to really rebound and then put some life into recruiting. And I just, I don't know. Um, I'm going to have to see and hear more. Um, but I, I think they're still going to have similar defensive issues as last year. I think the pass rush is still going to have some issues. Um, offensively, I think they'll be, you know, 
they won't be as bad as they were at the beginning of the of last year. I don't think they're going to start um, where they ended last year, which is at a really really high level. I think they're going to be you know pretty decent all year. But if that defense doesn't improve significantly, I think it's still going to be a tough year. Um, now I wouldn't say it's going to be three and nine, but um, I wouldn't expect a huge leap in performance in year two. So that's that would be cause for some pessimism. Yeah, it's it's hard. Like in the South, it's just kind of muddled. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm overly optimistic of anyone. Like I, you know, I like Utah, but you know, USC is still the most talented team. Like, I just don't know. It's, it's just kind of muddled for me in the South and no no one's really going to stand out to me as the cellar dweller. It's probably going to be, you know, Colorado or Oregon state, but that just seems like a cop out thing to say they're going to be pessimistic. And, you know, in the North, I think it's pretty clear. Washington's going to be the class there, but you could see an Oregon make a run. But I, I don't know. I don't feel like there's any sort of like definitive uh, team that you're like, oh, that that team's definitely going to stink, or it's that they're definitely going to be great. Like outside of like you mentioned Washington. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's it's once again a pretty muddled picture at this point um, in the off season. Yeah, that all may, right. Maybe that changes. Um, it will. I'm I'm sure it will, and I'm sure there'll be some. There's going to be some cons- What we have to be leery of because this happened, I think, a little bit last year i can't remember with whom but there's there there'll suddenly be some national consensus that builds around something like remember last year when we all watched justin herbert to the beginning part of the season we're like oh yeah he looks pretty good and then there was this like national consensus that suddenly he was like the number one pick in the draft and like that was like the talking point and then nobody nobody watched oregon play again after they developed that as the talking point and then we're watching it and we're like well i mean okay but he's not like playing like the number one pick in the draft so what's going on here um, and yeah, he wasn't the number one pick in the draft. He came back to school. It's just, you, you got to be leery of like that consensus building right now. Washington's looks like the best team in the pac 12. There might be some weird consensus that builds in the meantime that no, it's actually Oregon. And I think the national consensus is already tilting that way, but let's stick to our guns this time. Washington looks like the best team come September when we actually have to do our picks. Let's, let's pick Washington. All right. Because uh, we, we always do this, too. We do. Uh, I feel like if you were going to, if every one of the programs was like a stock, I feel like you'd want to, like, you could make an argument to buy a little bit of Oregon State or buy a little bit of Colorado because they're going to be far down. I think I'd be selling Oregon because I think they're going to be good, but I don't know if they're going to be as good as everyone's saying they are. You oh, know? I, I, I'd be selling Oregon hard because I think, yeah, exactly right. I mean, some people have them pegged as like a top 10 team this year, which is insane. Yeah, like insane based on what we've seen of Oregon so far under Mario Cristobal. Maybe so, they get there, but there's no reason to think they will right this year. Right. No, I, and I think they can be like I said, I'd be a little optimistic just overall. I think they're going to do have a pretty good year. But if you're going to like just discount that Washington's the class of the conference, uh, I'm, I wouldn't really be going there. So they'll probably be a little bit uh, overrated, um, but I still think they're going to be, you know, better than they were, you know, even better than they were last year. But I don't know if they're going to be as good as some people are saying, like you said, top, top 10 type of program already. You know, maybe they can get there, but um, I think, you know, maybe another year or so you can get there without, you know, Justin Herbert's not going to be there, but I feel like the, what, what he's building there with the recruiting classes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it getting there, but to to say it's going to all happen this year, it just seems a little premature. Agreed. Um, And then he has random questions. Oh, okay. He says the correct answer regarding last week was unlimited tacos. That's the correct answer. Okay. 
I kind of disagree. I mean, unlimited sushi sounds a lot better. But anyway, okay. Yeah. Um, he says. So the questions are: What do you think about clowns? Uh, I'm not. I don't really have a strong feeling about clowns, like a fear of clowns or like scary clowns are. I think kind of scary, like in scary movie clowns. But I don't have like clown nightmares or thoughts about clowns a lot. Do you have a strong opinion on clowns or? I have no strong feelings about clowns, except that I think they're like, they're really useless. Like if there's any, like, I don't, I, well, the thing is that like, it, it's like something from like medieval, like, I don't know, like amusements, but like what kid wants to see a clown? Like they're only used for scaring people now. Right. Like, is there like, do people actually like, are they actually clowns anymore? And they do like balloon animals and stuff. Like no kid wants that at a birthday party. I don't I do think that. It still happens. I guess. I don't know. There's but still... nobody wants that. No, but there's, like, there's definitely people that have super strong opinions. Like they're scared, you know, scared shitless of clowns. <laughs> like I think that's kind of funny. Like regular clowns, not even like scary clowns from movies, like regular clowns. They don't like them. Yeah. I don't get what that is. I mean, whatever. I mean, some, kids some people just have weird fears but i just don't get anybody who wants a clown like who likes a clown i don't get that like physical comedy miming like who wants that i don't want any part of that <laughs> um yeah i guess with the probably be the balloon animals and stuff but there people still like a little fairs and stuff i i don't think private parties like that's what you're gonna go to is gonna be as a clown but i think at like fairs and things they probably have you know clowns there they'll do your makeup or uh, you know, make you balloons, things like that. Like you, you have kids and you, you see that around. Yeah. I mean a little bit, but right. it's just, but you wouldn't go like, Hey, uh, my daughter's having a birthday party. Let's hire a clown. Like that's not something you would. No, it just seems like if you've done this, like somebody out there, if you've done this, if you've hired a clown for something, can you just email us in email in and just say why, like why you did that? Yeah. Like what, what compelled you to do that? If you I'd hired a clown and you used like the yellow pages, it's not like, so this was, hap this was within, the, we're talking about within the last like 25 years you've done that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We want like <laughs> you, you hired a clown and you thought it was a good idea for a party. And all right, if you've done that and tell us how it went, like first why you did it and then tell us how it went. Um, cause it just seems weird. Yeah. I could still seems see like, like a, magi thing. a magician, like that could, you know, someone doing that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see magician a little bit easier than a clown, but somebody dressed up in like a bunch of makeup and weird hair and like a big nose thing doing balloon animals. I just, yeah, I'm having a hard time with it. But back in the, the kid days, like when I was a real little kid, like I remember Bozo the Clown was like a thing. Like there would be, there would be some clown shows. You know, the Simpsons have the longest, you know, Krusty the Clown, like that long running show. Uh, but I don't think there's any like shows now where there's like a clown hosting, right? There used to be those things. Yeah, I don't think there is. Um, no, I, I don't think so. And that stuff, you know, that, that stuff probably does scare kids. Yeah. No, like with the proliferation of like bounce houses, why would you ever have like another physical human that you bring into your home to like <laughs> do these sorts of things? Just just have your kids jump in a bounce house, break some limbs and then get out. That's it. <laughs> uh, that's funny. My my buddy, uh, he's got his, his son just turned four and they rented like a some kind of pirate ship bounce house. So they're all, everyone dressed up as like pirate things and they did this, but yeah, like bounce houses seem to be like the, you can rent them for a few hundred bucks or something. And it's like all the kids go in there and play and the parents can stay outside and drink. So it seems to work well for everybody. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then and he asks one more, one more random question: Would you rather be able to breathe underwater or have the agility of a cat? Ooh. Hmm. I feel like the agility of the cat would be more useful. It's sort of like, would you rather be like Spider Man or Aquaman? Like Aquaman could do some pretty cool stuff, but you're like you're in the water, like. I, I, Nobody can see you doing any of right. it. Like you're underwater. <laughs> Unless everyone else also has the ability to breathe underwater. Like you're not doing this. It's not impressive. Basically, breathing underwater is like, okay, I've 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 knocked something off the list of th- ways I can die. Like that's that's what you've done there. That's yeah. all. What like how would you use it? Like you'd have to be like a uh a skin diver for lobsters or something like you could just go bananas. Um, but it's not like it changes like your body's resilience to like pressure. Like true, you're yeah. still going to have to like stay within like, I don't know, 20 feet of the surface. Like, what's the point? Basically, all you've done is make it. So like if somebody holds your head underwater, they can't actually kill you. That's right. about it. If you get an agility of a cat, you could just climb on top of a building anytime you wanted to. That'd be cool as hell. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the water, but I'm trying to think of how we'd use it. Like, yeah, you're saying, like, you get down, you swim down 15, 20 feet, and it's like your ears are going crazy. Like, it's it's not like you could swim to the bottom of the ocean or anything. Now, if he changed it so, like, you could somehow withstand that, that might be kind of cool. But, nah, it's still, I think Agilia the Cat. Yeah, absolutely. Then I'd just, absolutely I'd join every softball cat. league and uh, just crush beers and, and run around the bases. and It'd be fun. It'd be so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I would love to have agility of a cat. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, nice. That was good. He has some, some good uh, topics there. So we, we're going to, he's going to have to help us this off season and give us some. Yeah. We need, we need, we need one of those every week. Cause that what that filled 10 minutes. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, that was good. That was pretty good. Well, we went an hour 15. That's not bad. Like we didn't have a whole lot of questions and stuff, but we, we can just talk, I guess. Oh man, this was a struggle. Uh, I'll be honest. This one was a struggle. Really? I'm exhausted. I am exhausted, Ryan. Oh, exhausted. Sorry. But I, I but I think you people out there, you 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 power us through with your with your listening ears. We got Thank complaints so last week because of the people wanted their money back because it was only an hour. I know, I know. And so we give them what, ten minutes more? There we go. Yeah, like fifteen, yeah. That's not too bad. Um but they're gonna be like, What? We're expecting two hours. Well, send us in. If you, you you can't complain on Twitter and not give us some topics to talk about. That's right. true. Um, That's true. We'll uh, so we have to send. We we'll have to send out an email. Dave, you can do this one. Uh, we'll send an email to the group to see uh, the best Olympic sports or non-revenue sports uh, from each program. I am curious to see what you know what the different schools. Would say like ASU, they've won a bunch of baseball titles, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Oregon State, Oregon State has also won a bunch of baseball they've, titles. They've, yeah, especially recently. And then I don't know, like, there's some schools like we cover those schools that they just win a bunch of titles and all these random sports. Um, but that doesn't happen everywhere, you know. The Pac-12 though, in general, does well. So I think all the sc- all the programs that that are out there, they've won stuff, they've won titles, and you know, some sport or another. Or a bunch of sports, so curious to see what those are. And just like the the rowing stuff is interesting at Washington. Like I knew they had a good rowing team, uh, but that kind of event he was talking about, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, we'll send that out to the crew and uh, see what they see who responds. See if they get back to us. We'll try to get back regular Monday shows. Dave, is that 
going to work. I think that's the plan. Um, you know, here and there we might have to switch it up, but I think for the most part we're doing Mondays. Yeah, we'll try to get some some big guests again too if there's any more breaking you know, good or most likely horrible news for the Pac-12. We'll get like Gonzano or John Wilner or any of those guys on. Uh, they're they're always nice enough to come talk to us. And if there's you know some big Pac-12 questions you have, we can bring some of those guys in to to talk about them too. Um, all right. Well, good stuff, Dave. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Yeah, thank you, and uh, thanks to all our listeners out there. We'll uh, maybe we'll try to pull up some of our recent. Uh, reviews on iTunes too, and kind of read some of those. Those are always fun. Um, so if you, you know, if you want your iTunes review, you haven't done it yet, go on there and review us and uh, we'll try to read them next week. Uh, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of champions and we will talk to you next time.